Welcome to the eSuccess Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 201, we speak again with Joanna Ficketeer from Mayo Clinic about her work to reduce unnecessary hospital readmissions. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast, Table of Contents, at esuccess-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. All right, so uh, welcome back to the eSuccess Methods podcast, Joanna. And uh, as a way of getting started, what do you think? Can you uh, just talk about your experience at the Mayo Clinic? Sure. So I started with the Mayo Clinic in 2016, right after I graduated from my Master in Engineering Management. And I'm one of many, many engineers in the management engineering and internal consulting here at Mayo Clinic. And we have engineers at the three sites, Rochester, Arizona, and Florida. And what we do, we just provide consulting services to anyone who needs them. So our department just accepts some project requests from anyone in the hospital or the clinic who wants or needs some help with some quality improvement project. Mm-hmm. So since I've been here, I've been working with neurology, cardiology, with some area in surgery, and then on some bigger like strategy type uh, project, looking at the Medicare new payment systems. I worked in some area like facilities and revenue cycle, and some very quality projects like improving hand hygiene or reducing readmissions. Okay. So it sounds to me like you're in a kind of the nice position of um, being uh, asked for, or there's a pull for your services. Is, is that always been true or sometimes do you have to, you find that you have to go out and look for opportunities to improve? There is a, one portfolio of projects where there's a committee here at Mayo who kind of evaluates each department and based on their performance, be it quality or more cost, then we get assigned to go and kind of explore if there are some opportunities for improvement. Okay. So it's a little so, bit of both. Yeah. So, so you definitely have those times where you're going into a place and you're not exactly 100% welcomed with open arms. You still have to do some... Uh, making of friends before you uh, do much work? Yeah, yeah, it happens. All right, so let's thank you for that uh, introduction. So you said you have a lot of engineers, so how many How many are we talking um, for the Mayo? I don't know the exact number, but it's about 200. Wow, wow. How many employees does uh, Mayo have? I think it was 35,000 in Rochester okay. and 56,000 total, including all the sites. Okay, so these are this is a very very large large business. Okay. Yes. Okay, so today we're going to talk some about your your project to reduce the thirty day hospital readmission. I've got your presentation up, and I'd just like to hand it over to you to walk us through this story. And I'm going to interrupt every now and then with some questions. Is that okay? Sure. So first, I think it's important to understand why we want to reduce readmission. And there's mainly two reasons. One is it adds cost to the patient, to the hospital. I mean, we don't want to see patients that really don't need 
to be seen, like if, if it could be avoided, we want to avoid the hospitalization. And then the main reason that a few years ago, the CMS, Center for Medical Services, started to penalize hospitals who are not performing well in terms of readmission. So hospitals who have more readmission that would be expected based on the patient population that they see. Okay. So we started looking at our performance. Now, there's one big challenge with readmission is that we don't have all the data for all the patients. We can have all the information about the patient who come to our hospital, and then we can see when they get readmitted in our hospital. And then Medicare, they have the claims data, mm -hmm. so they can see Medicare patients where they get readmitted. But for patients who are non-Medicare, for example, that we see here at Mayo Clinic, we just have no way to know when they get readmitted somewhere else. Okay. So I think that's an important limitation to understand. So it's not just readmissions to uh, Mayo, it's readmissions to any hospital if they're on Medicare? So what we can do is look at readmission to our hospital, but it's important to understand that it's not showing the, the whole picture. Mm -hmm. There will still be some patient going to see another doctor or another hospital that technically it's still a readmission. It still means that there was a problem at the right. first encounter. But we, we, since we don't know about that, there might be some reason for readmission that we could not address because we never got that information. So the definition of readmission is it as simple as they were admitted to the hospital for w one problem and within 30 days they had to come back for the same problem. It wasn't quite resolved. So that's the definition that Medicare uses. And then there's one more readmission if we want to go even further you have planned readmission and unplanned readmission. Like sometimes a patient is discharged, but he, when, when he leaves the hospital, we ask him to come back in two weeks for maybe another overnight study or right. another test. That's planned readmission. So it, it occurs within 30 days, but it's something that's part of the treatment plan. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really count as a readmission. And then... We personally also wanted to look at related or non-related. So if you have a patient that comes see us for, I don't know, a cardiologic procedure, and then two weeks later uh, breaks a leg and is readmitted, but for something that has nothing to do with the original admission, we would consider that an unrelated readmission. Okay. Would, does uh, Medicare or whatever other governing group agree with that definition? Uh, they agree with the definition. Now, when Medicare looks at the number of readmission, etc., they take off the planned readmission, mm -hmm. but they don't have time to go through each and every patient when they extract the data. So a lot of unrelated readmission are still taken into account. Okay. All right. And also one thing to know is that Medicare looks at readmission specifically for five diagnoses. So um, CHF, myocardial infarction, pneumonia, COPD, and knee or hip replacement. Okay. And there's some discussion on maybe like looking at more procedure or maybe extending to 
a bigger patient population. But for now, Medicare is focusing on the five diagnoses. But in our project, we, we also looked at everything else. So why um, at those particular five diagnoses? Are those the highest um, rating or most critical diagnoses, or are those some of the higher repeating um, ailments? I would guess it's those who, like some of them are just a chronic condition. So it, but my guess is it's where all the costs are. It's okay. Those procedures are really costing Medicare a lot for, for what it is. And it's where they've found some opportunity to reduce costs on their side. Okay. So, yeah, so really we started this project because we know that it's coming from CMS that we, we're going to have some penalty and that we need to improve on those five diagnoses. But when we did this project, we really looked at everything to right. see if there, there was maybe a, a root cause that was more that was different than just for, it would be for those five diagnoses. And I see here that you are specifically targeting English second language. Did that stick out as a significant factor um, leading to higher readmission? Um, that was a hypothesis. So um, that, was also, that also came from CMS who say, there's something that needs to be done for minority patients. Mm -hmm. And here at Mayo Clinic, we see a lot of destination patients so not only from all, of, all over the U.S., but also from all over the world. Like we right. have a lot of patients from Middle East. So we have a lot of translators, interpreters, and we are trying to accommodate the needs of all those patients. But one hypothesis we had was maybe those patients were especially at risk because they could not understand very well what they needed to do when they got discharged. So that's something we wanted to look at. But really, yeah, in, in, in starting this project, we, we had this hypothesis. So I've got a, so um, I guess I want to get a little bit of a reality check. So if we're looking at a, this target that it says to the UHC, is, is, is that the, the target for 10.3%, right? Is that, is that an industry-wide target or is that just a Mayo Clinic target? So UHC is a consortium of academic medical centers. Mm -hmm. So it's not all the hospitals in the U.S., but it's a group of hospitals that are kind of similar to Mayo Clinic. Okay, so that was going to be my question because that target could vary for you know a small uh, town hospital versus one like Mayo Clinic, which is um, sought out after you know people seek out Mayo Clinic specifically because they have expertise in things that uh, are really difficult that no other clinic can take care of. Uh, so it's kind of unfair to have, you know, a, a one-size target fits all, right? Yeah, definitely, no. U UHC stands for University Health Consortium, and we use it a lot for benchmark, not only for readmission, but for, like, length of stay, for some for procedure in any specialty. That's really the benchmark that we use uh, for the project we do at Mayo. Okay. So I'm going to move on to slide number nine, uh, start of the major phase where, so we started basically looking at our data. And as I explained first, we can only see the patient who come back to our hospital. And I mean, we have Rochester, Arizona, Florida, and we also have quite a few small clinic and hospital all across Minnesota and Wisconsin. So that was 
or we have data for all those patients, but only for those patients. If they go somewhere else to a different health system, that would not appear in our data. Right. So with that in mind, what we first found in our data was that nearly half of our patients were coming from Southeast Minnesota and Olmsted County, which is the county where Rochester is. So even though we have a very huge destination medicine population, we also see a lot of community patients and they seem to be the one who get readmitted a lot. So, I mean, first, first look at this data, we, we thought that maybe the focus on this project would be more on community patients. And we looked even on slide, on slide 10, we looked even deeper to look at by zip code. So that would be nearly county level, even smaller. Mm-hmm. And we could see that really the concentration of readmitted patients was around Rochester. So that was really our community patient. Okay. Another analysis we try to do is look at by specialty. So if there was some specific specialty with higher than average readmission rate. And so then we could kind of narrow down to eight specialty that we started to involve in this project to work with us. Going back to the patient volume by zip code, you know, what's, what sort of insight did that, did that give you? Did that stand out as a surprise? Uh, yes, originally, because we were really thinking that we were seeing a lot of destination patients. So coming from out of state or even from Minnesota, from some further counties. Mm-hmm. But we really realized that we see a lot of Rochester patients and these patients tend to get readmitted quite a lot. So yeah, that was kind of a surprise and that helped that we noticed that so early in the project so that we could really guide where we were heading. So, I mean, would it make sense to say that a driving factor is the convenience of the location? Absolutely, yes, because we're looking at readmission. And as I said, um, we don't have the data of patients who get readmitted somewhere else. So, yeah, it makes sense that our patients come back, patients in our community come back to our hospital more than patients who live further. They wouldn't, they wouldn't take the drive to come see us again. Right. Although, I mean, there was a few cases. If it's something like really like a very complicated complication, we have patients driving again hours or flying back to see us again in Rochester. There was a few cases. Right. But um, I guess, you know, like sort of like when the, I don't know, the what was called Obamacare, when that kicked in, they were trying to convince people to say, hey, it's just the flu. Don't go to the doctor anymore, where before it was people would go because it's convenient to go there. But it would if you are living further away, it would it would have to be pretty serious for you to say, yeah, I need to go back kind of thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We wanted to see also among the five diagnoses that were targeted by CMS, which one we were doing not so well on here at Rochester. And so we did this Pareto chart and we could see that CHF, congestive heart failure, was the number one. And so we started involving, so CHF was cardiology and pulmonary thoracics, and we started involving those 
doctors in our project and see what we could do for their patients. And CHF is a chronic condition and it's, it really involves a lot of some of the community patients that we talked about earlier. Did you find that you have this whole readmission rate by service lines? Did those did that Pareto line up with what it, the uh, CMS targeting one is, or were they different for Mayo versus what CMS is looking at? So it's slightly different to look by specialty than to look by diagnosis. So, for example, COPD which is one of the diagnoses targeted by CMS, also one of the top five, it's by, by specialty that would be in pulmonary thoracic, which was way down right. when we looked by specialty. So no, it doesn't really match. Hmm. Okay. And I mean, the, the highest in volume for us was internal medicine, which is, it makes sense, is where you see everything that doesn't really belong to a specialty. Oh, that's the catch-all sort of category? Yes, yeah. Okay. But then uh, in second place, you have orthopedic surgery, which knee and hip replacement is targeted by CMS. So a little bit of both. Got it, okay. Yeah. So in this presentation, I really showed you like a, a snapshot of some of the analysis we did. We really spent a lot of time slicing and dicing the data to try to find I mean, not really to find the root cause just by looking at the data, but just for us to get a better feel of what was the readmission scene here in Rochester. And then moving on to the analysis phase, we started by doing a cause and effect diagram. I mean, it's a very simple, but I think very powerful tool. You can really summarize in one slide some of the theme that we started to see in the data or through the discussion we had with each specialty or with some of the doctors. Once we had all of the factors in this cause and effect diagram, we started to categorize them into... So my project was phase two. There was already a phase one project, I think it was about four years ago. Okay. And they implemented a few solutions and then closed. And we had to reopen because really readmission is an ongoing quality issues. So. so in this cause and effect diagram, we saw a few factors that had already been addressed in the phase one project. We just classified them in green and said, okay, those are already addressed and addressed well. So there's no need for us to try to find something new to address those factors. We're just going to keep doing what the phase one project did. And then in what was left, we had to decide what we would address and what we would keep out of scope. And as you can see, in blue, there's quite a few factors that we kind of have to leave out of scope because that would be, it might be something that's not in our control. Right. Like if you look in the environment, when I'm talking about financial limitation, I'm more talking about some patients cannot afford their medication. So they get discharged, they don't want to go and refill their medication and then they, their condition go bad and they get readmitted. That's something, unfortunately, that's not in our control. So anyway, we ended up with five, no, six factors in orange that we decided that we were going to address in our project. So some education of the new doctors, 
especially Mayo Clinic. So as I said, it's an academic medical center, which means we have residents every year. So this new new grad um, medical student who start who become a new doctor, they spend two years in residency, which is kind of it's in between their medical school and their actual start of the practice. Mm-hmm. And we had also found that those residents tend to have maybe a higher rate of readmission. So we decided to that we, we, we thought that there was a need to educate them better on one, the importance of readmission, what what impact it had on us, not only the cost that it incurs, but also if it's one of the five targeted diagnoses, on top of that, we would also have some penalties. Mm-hmm. And especially educate the new doctors on what they could do to limit readmission. So for the, for the community patient, for, for the local patient that we had found where we admitted a lot, we decided to work with some local resources in the community. We have a lot of resources right. available for the patient but that we don't always know about, and we don't always do a very good job at linking this patient with the community resources. So the language barrier was one of the factors. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had a different, we had a sub team working on that. So from that point on, I, I didn't really look at what they did. And then very big in the system, every time we did a focus group with some physician or some some, some specialty areas, we realized that they were not aware of their readmission performance. Every time we had the same question, so you're telling me I'm not doing well on readmission, but I didn't know, and how could I know my, right. my performance? So we decided to also work on reporting, and we created a readmission-specific reporting system so that the physician could now access this information and be more aware of their performance over time. Mm-hmm. So with, with getting back to the readmission based off of um, residents, the residency, um, so underlying some of these is either, it can be either there's a perception that they didn't, that the patient didn't get the quality care that they needed and basically are coming back out of fear Um they are like getting a second opinion again, or they actually did have lower quality care and are actually suffering from a problem. Is there, is there, was there a way of dis- deciphering whether it was a perception on the part of the patient versus an actual quality of care issue? No, we could not dig that deep into the data. So we were really dealing with like huge patient data but we did find that for patients whose primary provider during the hospital stay, so this patient for whom the provider was a resident, had a higher readmission rate than patients who just saw a regular doctor. So we did see a difference in the readmission rate right. between resident and non-resident doctors. Is that, do you think, I mean... Is that a ma- so? I guess what I'm getting at is that a manner of experience in a quality of care, or is that a manner in a bedside manner where they've made people feel good on their way out the door? Like, what would what would a resident do differently in order to say, okay, I got to get my readmissions down 
I just have to do my job better or I just need to communicate better um, so that the patient understands what's going on? So a lot was in internal medicine. So I would, I would assume it's more in, on the communication part. Like when the patient is discharged, a more experienced doctor would know more what the patient needs to know when he leaves than a resident who's maybe less experienced. It's also complicated because you, you want to give the patient enough information, but not too much. And mm-hmm. it, it, can be, it can go the other way. Sometimes residents have a tendency to over-explain. Right. Like, I mean, I, I know as a patient, sometimes, so I go, of course, I go to Mayo and I get to see some residents. They have not learned how to explain those difficult diagnoses and treatment and into plain English. Right. And it's something I think with experience, a more experienced doctor knows when he needs to use plain English and how to translate those difficult medical terms into a more understandable English. So that just comes with experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So which one of these, I know you have these uh, highlighted in, in orange um, and maybe you're coming to it. These are the ones you wanted to address, but any particular one really stand out as the, the main key to improvement? For me, as the engineer dealing with the data, I was surprised to see that the physician actually didn't know their performance, hmm. that they didn't have access to that type of information. I was very surprised, but I was also delighted that they asked for it because they really expressed that they wanted to see that performance. I mean, it, it's very obvious that you, you cannot correct something that you don't know you're doing wrong. Yeah, is this a case where they didn't have sort of uh, personal scorecards or dashboards and this wasn't on it, or did they have it and this one wasn't on it, or do they not usually have that um, personal metrics? So before, we had the hospital readmission rate. We had, so we have it posted on our in, internal website and we can see it every day. But it was never broken down by specialty or by physician or by diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And we had been slicing and dicing the data in different ways for months before we started talking with them. So every time we met with them, we would just show them what we were doing. And they looked very interested in the data we had. Okay. That strategy on the right is the one I got really heavily involved into. It was preparing a reporting tool that the physician could then access whenever they want and also filter as they want, if they want to see the whole division, if they want to see only their individual performance for a certain patient population, etc. And we, we really hope that this would drive more improvement projects within a department. Because it's really, it's really what needs to happen. I mean, we were looking at the whole hospital, but there's only so much you can do that there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. Each department needs to be responsible for their issues, which might be very, very different between patients with onia and patients with a knee replacement. So we really wanted each department to become more responsible of their performance and start their own improvement project. Okay, so you these one of the outcomes of this is to improve the 
you know, transparency of the data, like what you have here is, okay, we recognize that one of the root causes was you guys didn't know that you didn't have these tools and or you didn't know you, we were tracking this. So now we've given you enough information so that you can start uh, addressing this locally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as a matter of fact, about a year after I closed my project, I heard of a new project going on in cardiac surgery. They opened a project. They were like, okay, we have this tool now that we can look at our performance. We can see we're not doing very well on bypass surgery. We want to improve our readmission. We want to do a root cause analysis. And they came to our department with a request for an engineer to help. So okay. someone else was assigned. I don't know how this project ended up. But I was really glad to see that the tool I created really started some desire for improvement in some areas. Excellent. All right. So um, you've got some more things going on. I know you, I see down below you've gone through an FMEA. Talk a little bit about what you found through these FMEAs. As I said, readmission is going to be an ongoing project. So we also didn't want to close our project and just see the readmission go down again. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to leave with something for the next teams to kind of build on. So that's really a big summary of what has been done, of what we found in this project, in the project phase number one. So then whoever starts the project number three, phase three, could stop comparing what we had at the time and see if some of the risk score or occurrence score has changed. But it was more, yeah, it was used more as a handover tool than a tool for analysis. So now, how long has it been since you've uh, been on this project? How long has it been since it's closed? That was my very first project that I started in March 2016. We closed in June 2017. So it's been about okay. a year. So now that you've gone through that and you have a chance to look back, is there anything stand out as something you would have liked to have done differently throughout the course of the project? Hmm... Actually, I think we were all, I mean, it was a very high level project. It was only the start of, as I say, now each, each department is taking on their own project. From that point of view, I think it, it was really a success. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot that could be done, but I think it was also good for us to just close and let each area take responsibility. Because if we would have started to look deeper at some of the root cause for readmission in each area or for each diagnosis, as you say, is it because of a discharge that wasn't done very well or is it because mm -hmm. of a care, quality of care that wasn't good enough? We could have been working on this project forever. So I think it was a very good um, flow to have a high project working for a year, close. And now we can go down one level, each area after their own project. Yeah, and and I think that I agree. The um, especially when you're you're basically arming the people locally to be able to take control of their own performance. And what I tell people is that whenever I've closed out a project, I always felt like I was still leaving something on the table, something untouched that I was I would have liked to get to, but in reality, we need to close these things out and and, yeah, and, and yeah. move on. 
Yeah, my only regret, I would say, when we started this project, one goal we had was to reduce the readmission rate. And we quickly realized that it was way too big of a goal. We, mm-hmm. So we, we were only capable of doing this, you know, first first stage and then hand over to the department to do the, to reduce their rate themselves. So that would be maybe my regret is that we, in the, the one year that we worked on it, it was more discovery phase than an actual implementation of any solution. So we were not, we didn't reduce the rate. But I think we made a huge impact in that we really created the background for everyone to start. Maybe stepping back from your, uh, from this project and maybe just reflecting more on some of the, your experience at Mayo, you've been with Mayo for what, three years now? Uh, two in a few months. Two in a few months. And last time we spoke, it was about uh, your transition from uh, manufacturing type of setting to a healthcare type of setting. In, in as far as you know, what it takes to be effective as a improvement manager in the healthcare setting, what have you been learning, and what do you continue to learn as as sort of best practices for you to for you to continue to uh, work through to be effective in that uh, industry? So I think it's it's okay to admit that we are not that I don't have a background in healthcare. So when I start a new project. Instead of just pretending I understand everything about that area, I just tell them, I'm an engineer, I'm not from a healthcare background, I don't understand I don't understand your practice yet. I always ask if I can observe, if I can spend time with them to understand better what they're doing. Because I mean I'm young, I haven't spent a lot of time in a hospital anyway. So uh, there's a lot I don't know about what's happening behind the scene and how do they do a certain surgery or, every, or something like that? Now, what I found very challenging is it's always changing as far as regulation and some of the strategies from Medicare. Just keeping up with what's happening that I need to do. So that means reading the news, doing even a little bit of research on my own about what, what actually is behind the new regulation, what what was the rationale from the CMS in starting this new payment system or this new penalty system or whatever it can be. So, yeah, I think I will have to keep studying on my own on the side for the rest of my life because, one, I don't have a background in healthcare, but two, it, it's changing all the time anyway. So do you miss manufacturing or have you decided healthcare is what it's going to be for you? Oh, yes, definitely. I think it's way more rewarding because at the end of a process improvement project, I think that we're not maybe saving lives, but we're making the patient experience better or we're improving patient safety. The end goal is so much more interesting than what I was doing in manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, that's kind of how I feel. I haven't been in healthcare, but that is the allure of, hey, you know, I've spent I've spent a decent amount of my time trying to figure out how to improve the look of a painted piece of metal uh, when <laughs> in my in my soul, I really wish I was helping people more. So um, so you just kind of just nailed uh, what I think is the allure of, of working in healthcare is is actually having a, a purpose for the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, 
even though we don't see patients, I'm sure we are making a difference. Right. Hey, Joanna, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there anything that you'd like to share that I haven't asked you about? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the next time that we get to have a similar conversation. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to episode 201 of the E-Success Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 202, Lean Six Sigma for Good, part one. We speak again with Brian Hurley about his new book and the best ways for Lean Six Sigma practitioners to use their powers for good. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comments section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at e6s-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.